Well, we're back after a long Thanksgiving break. Uh, all stuffed with stuff. We are stuffed mm. with stuffing. I hope you got all of your good digestible bits um, in a digestible format with our Thanksgiving special. <laughs> Shout out to Quibi for uh, for the you know for the yeah. layout. <laughs> this is going to be a five hundred part Quibi <laughs> our Thanksgiving yeah. special. Well, you know our listeners, if you if you hit play on Thanksgiving afternoon. Uh, you finished the Thanksgiving episode just about now. So uh, we're back with some new material. And uh, we didn't just spend the entire Thanksgiving break laying around, uh, just feeling uh, completely bloated and disgusting and full of carbohydrates like I did the whole time. Some of us were out there mm-hmm. hitting the streets and getting on the news. That's right. Our friend Munya was on the news again. What <laughs> happened, Munya? Yeah, man. Um, I was just watching the World Cup um, with my lovely girlfriend, and um, when we walked out, um, the news basically, like, just like a national news network, basically like put a mic in my face, and they're like, oh, who are you supporting? And we both, like, without thinking, we're just like, oh, we're supporting Iran, right? Over, like, America. <laughs> And <laughs> and he immediately was like, uh, oh, well, I mean, like, do you think, um, you know, that this game, the U.S. and Iran is like very uh, has a lot of like political charged elements to it. Like, what do you think about the woman in Iran and everything and what this like, you know, win for the U.S. like means for them? And I'm like, ah, I don't I don't know if it like really means like, you know, much for them, honestly, like, uh, you know, it's I think that, you know, running people should celebrate uh, their team. and. You know, <laughs> shouldn't feel feel bad that uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. that, you know, they shouldn't feel good, really, that like the U.S. won. I'll say that. Um, and then like slowly I uh, I, I uh, right when he was interviewing me, too, I was wearing a free Palestine shirt. So, you know, I took I kind of like took my coat off and put it on my waist while I was talking to him because, they had to, you know, <laughs> flex that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he like kind of went on and he was I think he was like kind of like going to I think he wanted me to say something and I just like wasn't i was kind of saying the opposite kind of pushing back against narratives having like a pretty like i mean a pr agent would probably not want that nuanced of a take honestly like i could probably (laughs) like made it shorter but like i had a pretty like you know nuanced take on uh on like you know issues in iran that are happening right now um and well what what actually was funny is that uh you know my partner's uh kind of like snuck off the camera because he was like i actually have like you know and <laughs> I just got to go back to Iran and stuff. Like, I don't know if yeah. on national news is like the best idea of when you're, when you're talking your game, you know, when you're <laughs> basically like, she didn't want to stand next to you while you're yelling all praise the Ayatollah. Well, and... exactly. Cause I was like, yeah, well, you know, you want me to denounce the Ayatollah, but they're actually, you know, um, leading Iran down a really, uh, you know, bright path. And like, they see the light, they uh, ha- have the touch of Allah and, um, you know, they, they will, they will, uh, they will definitely uh, do good things in the future. And I, I don't think they really wanted to uh, hear that. And so I was like, they, well, they yeah, want to hear mean, you speak truth to power. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, you know, it's called organizing everywhere, sweetie. And like sometimes uh, you got to hand it to the Ayatollah, <laughs> especially during like uh, doing a w- woman's rights movement that's against them. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that, that murdered them, actually. Yeah. Uh, he just said the the only problem with the Ayatollah is his team's lack of scoring. All right. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I should have been like, uh, yeah. The only thing I have a problem with the Ayatollah is how how about you Ayatollah some goals, huh? <laughs> like, uh, how about how about you uh, told some goals and not like, uh, you know, <laughs> and win for once. I mean, uh, we need more Ayagolas and less Ayatollahs. Has somebody Ooh. done that yet? Is that, Ooh, that still available? Ayagolas. <laughs> well, like, I mean, the the joke was kind of on you, Munya, because the I mean, not to to spoil this for anybody who is not aware yet, but the U S won that game yeah. and Iran did have to get rid of their morality police because of it. As per they World did, Cup they ball, abolished so. it. It was as important a game as, uh, as the interviewer led on. So that, that yeah, I guess, I guess it was important that the U S won. It was a win for the, you know, Iranian people, I guess. I can't, <laughs> can't hate. So, uh, ultimately More than we ever got, dude, uh so when can we see your clip on cbs news so we um went home and like turned on the news um we thought it was local news and then uh we realized that the logo on the mic was actually not like the local call letters it was just a straight up like cbs i logo and i'm like oh fuck i forget i'm in new york man like uh mm-hmm. this might be like on national news and so we it was a six o'clock local. Then we like wait till seven o'clock for the national. And the, the opener was like, uh, coming up shadowed by, uh, you know, political strife and, and, uh, and unrest in Iran is the, um, is the U S and Iran soccer game. And we'll see, you know, uh, who won. And we're like, Oh fuck, this is setting up for, you know, let's ask people about, you know, issues like let's, let's, you know, do the thing. Um, they completely not only did they not air my uh segment, but they completely canned the entire segment completely. Like there was no <laughs> no footage of them. I mean, I don't know why they even like came there because I mean it was like some guy who asked CBS to come there. Um, and like, um, this is in Brooklyn, so this is like a forty five minute drive if they're in Midtown, which I'm assuming they are. Um, to come from Midtown to like you know a pub in Brooklyn to just interview just some guy right like just like <laughs> some someone who's like three beers deep like just like <laughs> fresh you, off a lost in the u.s just like uh, yeah let's just let, talk to this guy like let's go what, find what, <laughs> local drunks and see what their opinion yeah of see the what Iran, their opinion a uh, u.s <laughs> conflict is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the yeah right like the woman life freedom protests in iran and like how that synthesizes with the u.s involvement in iran let's ask like a random American drunk American, uh, how they feel about that. This will make great national news. Yeah, excuse me, sir. What do you think of Michelle Foucault's position <laughs> that the Ayatollah <laughs> should be given uncritical support? Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> oh, I, I, I would pop off if you asked me that question, dude. They'd have to air it because it would be too fire. We're recording live in Seattle and Brooklyn, the two homes of neoliberals, <laughs> neoliberal America today, or whatever we do for this intro. Dystopia. I've never this gotten what, right. No, we, Brian, our, our Patreon numbers are down. We need to, we need to get this right. We're getting a capital strike because of, because we're not getting our intro right. Yeah, I guess Brian can't read the copy, so just, <laughs> we don't have a copy. So the copy is literally just us like memorizing past episodes. Yeah, just trying to remember what we said in the past. Well, yeah. 
Uh, we're back. Uh, if you want to hear Munya's opinions on Foucault vis-a-vis his position towards the Iranian Revolution, mm-hmm. uh, you have to go to Patreon for that. We're going to have a four-hour yeah. Patreon, just a meditation on uh, Foucault's late lectures. ASMR, but, baby. <laughs> but for today on the free channel that everybody can listen to, including Uncle Sam, uh, instead of that, what we would like to do is wish a hearty congratulations to Dr. Jennifer Poza, who's the CIA's first chief well-being officer. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Fuck yeah. <laughs> that was announced in our little break here, and uh, I just hope that uh, she's able to help people deal with their uh, <laughs> with their feelings about launching coups in various Latin American countries. It causes uh, anxiety, Brian. Okay, yeah. I mean, this is the thing that you don't understand is that they're people too, and you need someone to really, you know, talk about um, their feelings, and especially being at such an esteemed organization like the CIA, they often have imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. and it's important for them to, you know, feel like, they deserve to be there doing the coup d'etats, doing getting Havana syndrome, getting like a fucking microwave laser beam like to their brain every time they step foot in Cuba. Like this is they worked hard for this, dude. They went to Harvard for this shit. OK, mm. they, and, and you know what? They need to say, like, you know what? Don't marginalize yourself. Especially if you're a young woman or or a Latino. because Those are the two groups that the CIA those are the two uh, genders. Guesses. Like, you know, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, in a white dominated field, you can still climb the ladder, you know. Well, I hope that with this new chief well-being officer, they can plan some fun company excursions to like some Nationals games, some Washington football team games, mm. maybe some like mm. uh, picnics at the park that you can bring your family to because it can be hard to handle the stress of what knowing what really happened at Roswell uh, and you know, uh, you know, not neglect your family. So I just hope that they're able to get that work-life balance that helps make all of that okay. Uh, I also saw that you posted. Uh, we're gonna get some breaking news uh, vis-a-vis the Kennedy assassination later this week. Yeah, uh, maybe that's what we'll cover on, on the Patreon. <laughs> we come at JFK years cast. Later. Yeah. yeah, sixty years <laughs> later, you're gonna hear something new about the Kennedy assassination. I'm sure. Yeah, we'll you know, I mean, same, but, just you know. when just when I thought Irish Joe lost me, he pulls me back in, man. Yeah, and it was it was promised that it was gonna be CIA related. So I'm just saying, yeah. that, uh, Doctor, you might need to be in this week. Uh, oh, so dude, she's gonna to be working overtime. She's she's securing the bag. I mean, my mm-hmm. God, like. God damn. Yeah. That's uh, that's success win right there for Dr. <laughs> Jennifer Posa. She's going to go check on the well-being of the people putting on that uh press junket about the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to see um the PR campaign the CIA launches uh to spin what might come out of that. Um <laughs> that that's going to be fun. I remember when like the CIA first got their Twitter in 2013 and people thought it was epic uh like when they were like uh we do not know uh, if Tupac is dead or alive. And they're like, oh, le- lay epic CIA mm-hmm. is uh, is doing a meme, right? Um, <laughs> such a different time on the internet, man. I, uh, I think about that a lot. What a time to be alive. Well, yeah. uh, you know, today's uh, you know world has a lot to offer, too. And I don't know if you saw this, but in Florida, 
there's a case going on that involves like, you know, idiot accusations made by Ron DeSantis involving a suspension, blah, 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 local politics. Who cares? Right. The funny part is, is that they're currently in hearings and the lawyer for the plaintiff asked Ron DeSantis's legal team if they could describe to them what the term woke meant, if they could give a definition of that. Yeah, because they keep on using it. Right? It's a fair question. Yeah, and so the lead lawyer apparently described it as, quote, the belief there are systemic injustices in American society and the need to address them. Oh, and- <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it was just, I just thought it was like a funny moment of like doing the quiet part out loud, <laughs> you know, in the middle of a yeah. legal Yeah, yeah, it feels like the serial killer, like just coming back to the scene, you know, it's like, my God, um, how much more clearer and more accurately can you articulate something and articulate your position against that very thing? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, Oh, woke actually means like people who want like better for the world. That's the, that's what we're trying to make illegal mm. um, in schools. Is that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's incredible stuff and an incredible admission. But my thing is, does it feel like lawyers have gotten worse recently i don't know if it's just that we have more exposure to bad lawyering but it just seems like look you're only doing this trial as pr for your boss ron DeSantis, and it feels like this is not the best version of that pr you could be doing i feel like lawyers Dude, have dropped the, the lawyer could have like answered being like oh it's like a femboy who drinks soy mm-hmm. and has blue hair yeah, he like, didn't even do like an epic meme response, which yeah. is what he should have done, you know? Yeah, right. He could have like got his credit hype. He's like, I mean, like, what? What if if that's like their interpretation, right? Like, why? <laughs> you can really say anything to that answer to a degree, you know? Yeah, the qual the quality of lawyering has never been worse. All right, uh, lawyers do better. All right. <laughs> Look, we have never had a um, you know, a true celebrity reality TV star coming from a uh, a lawyer family since the Kardashians. Name one. Name one other than the, you know, like the Kardashians uh, who got famous from their uh, parent being a lawyer. I can't. <laughs> I will say there's a, a documentary out about like the actual bling ring, the kids that were like stealing from Hollywood celebrities uh, out in like Beverly Hills and stuff. Oh, and yeah. their lawyers actually were trying to get on a reality TV show while in trial. And so it like, like look to camera, like Jim from the office during the trial. It was like, <laughs> just like address it. Like they're on reality TV. Yes. The worst lawyers have ever existed. Yes. Just amazing stuff. So, but again, this is, they heisted point. all that money. They couldn't fucking afford a good lawyer. That, that sucks, man. Dude, the guy who basically rolled on everybody, uh, had three of the worst lawyers I think have ever existed. And, uh, just incredible stuff. But yeah, lawyering, get, it's gotten worse, needs to get better. All right. Yep. Uh, pick Step it, up, it up, guys. guys. Come on. Well, on to another epic meme moment. Uh, Joe Biden got to have his own Patco strike moment. Uh, the mm. Democrats have been just dying to have one of these. Uh, last week, he basically forced railroad workers to go back to work with the shit contract that their boss wrote for them uh, on threat of uh, federal, basically federally enforced breaking the strike. Now, like everybody else in America, I heard about this devastating blow to rail workers unions from 
Mayor Bruce Harrell. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the guy who definitely was there and uh, definitely... <laughs> He's not mad that he's just in like a fucking like third rate port town uh, that has like no real fucking influence over this like decision at all. Yeah, he tweeted out a rail shutdown would be devastating to our city economy and residents. The city of Seattle has long led efforts to strengthen protections for workers. These workers deserve a fair contract. And we are thankful that Congress acted before this became a national crisis. So I like that because it's like, uh, two of those sentences seem to contradict two of the sentences in the middle, right? Like mm. the fair contract of you know efforts to strengthen worker protections seems to be uh, two things that did not happen in this situation. But yes, as you said, I love that Bruce Harrell's putting his putting his foot in on this one, basically saying like like guys, no one asked. I, I bet like even like Congress who broke the strike, they're like, bro, what? Like you know, you know when like uh, it's kind of it kind of sad because it reminds me of like a like schoolyard dynamics when like you know the uncool kid tries to like hang with the cool kids and like do a bit with them and like it kind of is like a record scratch moment. Like <laughs> the music stops, everyone kind of looks at him weird and they're like, dude, like who, why are you even here? But why are you even speaking up? You know, it's like <laughs> just sit down, just go over there, go back to your fucking lunch table, man. Like. No one invited you here, dude. You didn't even <laughs> you didn't even vote against the strike because you couldn't. So yeah, <laughs> it just it just rocks that like what a Bruce Harrell move to take a victory lap on yeah an issue of national politics that he had nothing to do with, but also one that like probably a significant portion of people in Seattle are like eyebrow raised like uh fuck that, <laughs> but yeah. Good yeah, job, Bruce, and, yeah, yeah, right. Race. I'm a master at politics, man. I mean, um, what 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 can you say? Um alienating people for that has no real fucking uh impact on the people of seattle uh other than negatively <laughs> well i just want to uh you know we all need to dwell a ton on the railroad strike but i i think there's some interesting things around it uh there was this clip that was taken from an earnings call so it's a part of a transcript from an earnings call that uh ken Klippenstein, famous clipper uh, took out Foya God, Foya God. Uh, got this from Joe Kraft, the chairman, president, and chief executive officer of one of the railroads. Uh, he's talking to you know shareholders, uh, you know of this company, right? And he says, "I think on the rail strike, there's continuing negotiations. There's several of the various unions. There's like a dozen different unions that are impacted by those negotiations in the rail sector. I think there's several of them that have already voted down the most recent proposal." We know the railroads and U.S. government is involved, along with labor unions. It's a possibility, meaning the strike. We're still believing that the federal government will be involved enough to prevent a major disruption to our economy that a rail strike would occur. So we're placing a low probability on striking. Ah. And, yeah, it's just, again, one of those, like, funny moments of just saying the quiet part out loud on a conference call. Uh, But interesting that the rail bosses... I was just say interesting that the rail bosses came into this from the position of, oh, no, the federal government will intervene to break any strike. So fuck them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that's the beauty of conference calls. This is truly like you're like eavesdropping on like, you know, investors and like executives like of a company like talking about how they're going to grow profits. Right. And like what their risks are. It's like I, I'm I even like listen into in like investor calls and i'm like 
how am I like allowed to even hear this? Like, this feels like <laughs> something that I should be like, you know, like that should be like said. Almost like, like they're not afraid, film. right? Or yeah. Oh, dude, they're just like, all yeah, right. Like, yeah. And, and it's, the, it's um the most interesting too, is when it completely contradicts like a PR campaign that they're going on. Right. I think Starbucks is like a really good example of that where like, you know, publicly Starbucks is like um, unions are somehow creating crime and therefore we're shutting down our uh mm-hmm. stores because um also uh people you're gonna have to pay your union boss um uh mortgage every year and so <laughs> yeah. you're actually gonna be a lot poorer but then like on their earnings call like they, they're like yeah you know um our, our our operating costs are gonna go up if they unionize especially like with wages um like you know we're, we're and that's gonna take a hit to our dividends so you know we're we're hopeful that we can just break this because you know um because uh it just wouldn't be good for our dividend yield because we'll have to pay uh workers significantly more and th- that wouldn't be great for our cash flow <laughs> so <laughs> well, but it was kind of interesting i mean to hear the sort of roots of the sort of crisis of the rail system which definitely exists and is a crisis, right? And all that's been done so far is the can's been kicked down the road. Uh, you know, a big shout out to citations needed for actually covering this. But, uh, you know, in 1980, there was something like half a million rail workers in the various railway unions. Now, there's a ton of unions that's attached to the rail because of the idiot way that the American uni- union movement is organized, which has to do with laws against unions, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But there's about half a million rail workers, essentially, and now they're down to like 125,000 total. And it's not like the amount of rail traffic has decreased in any way. And what has happened is, is the seven railway companies, corporations that essentially work as a cartel to split up, you know, uh, you know, the sort of war, or the split the money, right? To split the rail lines and things like that. They've been going on the private equity model of slash and burn everything and then use any money that you get for stock buybacks for your investors, right? So they've been doing the Boeing private equity model that literally every, and this is what we talked about with your, you know, your uncle about, you know, Boeing. This is just every company's playbook now. Yeah. Slash and burn, do stock buybacks. Uh, if something goes wrong, just hope that federal government just bails you out, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, and when that becomes like the dominant like form of, you know, returning money to shareholders, right? Like you're actually punished for not doing it, right? It becomes almost like a tidal wave where like your stock will collapse if you don't like it's now expected that and it's abysmal if you don't, you know, like your stock's going to get fucking like, you know, dumped. So um, it's now like the dumb like if you're not buying back stock you're not you're you're gonna be like voted out by the board of directors at this point you yeah know? yeah um and so and that's how that's how that's just how prevalent like stock buybacks have become so um yeah it's not it's not just like a specific niche of company it's every company but it's like they've adopted this way because that's really the only way really to extract because when you reduce your workforce by um like 75% or you know however yeah, yeah almost 80% in this it, case 80% yeah, yeah. yeah um you know that's that's a lot of money to return to shareholders but you know that 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 growth in like you know profits is there's going to hit a wall at some point right so i mean 
what you can do with that is that you can either just take on debt at low interest rates at the time and just like buy back stock and then use all of that money that should be going to workers to just, you know, buy your stock back and then like quite literally light it on fire because yeah, the less yeah. supply of that, the, the less supply of share you have, like just the high, higher value those shares become, right? If there was only one piece of gold in the world mm. uh, instead of like, you know, a lot of different pieces. Um, all the value of gold will be concentrated into that one piece, which will make it like, you know, like a billion dollars, you know, like yeah. and that's that's the same logic with stock. Like if you have a company that's worth a certain amount, you have a thousand shares and suddenly you have 500 shares. Um, that value doubled, man. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, at least in theory. Right. You know, um, and the thing is, is yeah, until 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 shit until collapses, man, right? I <laughs> yeah, mean, yeah. <laughs> as long as you can get more money to mm-hmm. buy, keep on buying back the stock, right? <laughs> like, I mean, like that's the thing. Well, and essentially, you're robbing the bank over and over and over again, right? So if if it all eventually falls apart and the bank is empty, you know, the vault's empty, it really doesn't matter to you because you've been robbing it the whole time, right? So yeah. It's like, oh, I didn't get one last, you know, rip at the vault, you know, like I. They'll complain like it's the end of the world, but they made out like bandits. And what has happened is, is because they've completely cut down on the amount of rail workers, uh, the sticking point became this issue of sick leave, which you know the unions don't have. And some people point out like, oh, but they have paid time off in their contract. But it's like, yeah, 30 days in advance, like bare minimum, you have to request it, which usually you're not alerted 30 days in advance that, you know, you're going to be sick or that a relative's going to die or something like that. Uh, when your relatives do die, it's it's kind of weird to have to like call up like, hey, mom, uh, tell them dad's got to be rotting above ground for the next month. because It's going to be a <laughs> while before I can get some time off, you know. Uh, but the reason that that system was in place was because they cut down to such tight skeleton crews. They literally have nobody to cover. Right. They're already running trains that are too long. They're having people work 20 and 30 hour shifts. Right. Like they're already doing the most dangerous forms of like coverage and they just couldn't even, they could not cover if there was something like sick pay or something like that. And that is a product of this sort of slash and burn stock buyback thing. But it also gets to the other larger point that sick pay was never going to be part of this deal. Right. The, the rail companies literally given their strategy of making money could not allow it. And in turn, what it, once you know, it's come out that the strategy of the Biden White House was to uh, tell Congress, yes, uh, we need to force the rail workers back to work. And yes, this sick pay thing sounds like a big issue that could look bad. But what you should do is split the two pieces, split this up into two pieces of legislation. One, a strike breaking vote. And then two, a sick pay vote. And then, uh, just uh, let it go like that, right? And it turns out the Biden White House did this specifically to make sure the sick pay thing didn't go through, but the strike-breaking vote did go through. And lo and behold, that's what happened, right? And I think people have chalked this up to just Democrat Democratic incompetence. But I think we're making a little bit of an argument that uh, actually there was no situation where the companies were going to allow that to happen. Yeah, I mean, I think that was complete competence on the Democrats' part, right? Because mm-hmm. they were, you know, complicit in that agreement with the railroad bosses to basically nuke any sort of agreement that involved sick leave within their contract. So, you know, if you, uh, you know, vote to, like, have, say, no strike, um, 
but then also vote against sick leave, right? Like that um, is a legitimate political position to hold and to fight for, right? That's not just like um, flailing your arms around. And that's what I don't get about a lot of these criticisms of like incompetence is that it really excuses what's actually going on, which is like mm. a collusion with capital, which is what the Democrats are there to do, is to collude and execute on capital's behalf, right? That's what the Republicans are there to do, too. Don't get me wrong. But um, certainly, um, that's why the Democrats exist. Um, and yeah. even, like, you know, people in, like, the progressive wings of the Democratic Party, they're still in that party, right? I hate to mm-hmm. say, but... Um, and that's what it showed. I think Rashida Tlaib was the only person who voted um, against, um, you know, breaking the strike. So yeah. everyone else voted for breaking the strike. And yeah. with with the idea that they're like, oh well, we could we could have voted for sick leave too, um, yeah. which is like, if if you're thinking like that, you are a Democrat. Like yeah, yeah. at that point, like you're just, you're 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 like Pelosi, you're fucking like Mansion, right? I mean, like it, the, you 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 might be the rotating villain at some point if you get lucky, you know? <laughs> like yeah, yeah. <laughs> when I think you know the people who were trying to uh, claim this was some sort of you know. 12D chess or whatever, the argument was like, oh, uh, this is just the savvy political move because instead of doing a just performative vote against, you know, breaking the strike, uh, instead you can have this, you know, sick leave bill, right, that you can vote for and then maybe it'll pass. And they can lobby people to vote for it. Yeah, maybe it'll pass. And I think that that elides the actual reality, which nobody including members of the squad, nobody believed that sick leave bill was going to pass. Like, everybody knew it was dead on arrival in the Senate. At best, it was a performative act to just have it right there yeah. so that Democrats could wipe their hands and go, oh, sorry, sorry, the, the Senate parliamentarian again. Oh, no. The damn parliamentarian. You know, I mean, like, just come up with another bullshit excuse like they always do to do the thing that they wanted to do in the end, which was step in on the part of the railroad bosses and break the fucking strike, which they did. You know? I think, like, I saw, Congrats. like, one congressperson, like, tweet that they were, like, crying because Republicans and Joe Manchin uh, voted <laughs> against it. And I'm like... Totally unpredictable, right? Dude, what? Like, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, they're still... I mean, we're in the lame duck session, but they're still a fucking minority in, like, every... Like, in the House and Senate, my guy. Oh, you have a Democrat yeah. as president, so who who the fuck cares, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, it, it, I'm sorry. Like, the Democratic Party can force Joe Manchin to do things. They don't want yeah. to. That's the difference. Like, I mean, a lot no, of... I mean, a, like, they, they... he Not even that they don't want to, is that they actually... I think that um, he's he just got picked. They spin the bottle and said, like, okay, who's going to be the fucking heel for our party this time? Not mm-hmm. to go, like, you know, not not to, like, I'm not saying that it's, like, actually happened, but I'm saying, like, it might as well have happened because it seems like, it, whether it's Joe Lieberman, whether it's, you know, um, all these other people, um, there's always someone who is just, like, inexplicably will, like, do everything contrary to the Democratic Party and have zero consequence, right? Yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that has to mean that they're okay with it, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. like, a party is not fucking helpless, and it's just, like, it's not... We have this uh, fucking idea in America that everyone's just an individual, their own individual choices. I'm sorry, in a fucking American political party, it's not that. Like, there's party discipline involved in that, right? Like, yeah. you can't just... Do, and, and we know there's party discipline because... Uh, Bernie tried to run for president, right? We saw what uh, actually party discipline looks like when, like, 
a real threat is there. Yeah, yeah. Um, they they know how to mobilize against people, and like, yeah, frankly, Joe Joe mentioned not getting any real pushback other than like maybe like rhetorical cries and like selfies of like yeah. fury eyes um, from like uh, you know random Congress people. Um, there's like no consequence for him because I think that they um, appreciate what he's doing because he's giving cover for everyone to vote yes, knowing that it's gonna fail, right? So that. So that they can say that they voted yes, but nothing actually changes. If it's not Joe Manchin, it's going to be someone else, guys. I mean, it is. Yeah, and so, yeah, I wanted to read this bit from the Washington Post to kind of explain the Democrats' long game here. Uh, So they say, Democrats also seem to have convinced themselves that should the issue come to a head in early 2023, and again, basically what they're doing is acknowledging that they're just kicking the can down the road uh, like an actual crisis on the rail lines pushing the nation once again to the brink of a default and economic crisis, Republicans will take the blame. Although there is grave risk to the economy, the gun is in Republicans' hands, a Biden advisor told Politico last week, and there's little question as to who will get blamed for this. And the thing is, is that, like, <sighs> they're, talking about the, they're talking about the debt ceiling, they're talking about the railroad crisis, but this is, like, their, this is why you have the performative vote. Right. Like the reason why you have these performative votes and things like that is so that even though you're going to get the absolutely get the outcome that you're planning to get, which is breaking the railroad strike, pretending the debt ceiling is real, all this kind of stuff, even though you're going to get the absolute outcome you want, you have the performative votes so they can always just come back and say, oh, no, the two party system works. It's just our side didn't win this time. Yeah. Right. Oops. Oops are bad. Right. And the railroad strike will just be this because. They're kicking the can down the road on this, and they're just going to go like, oh, the, darn Repu- the darned Republicans. Yeah, what could we do? And it's like, well, I mean, you're not a power. You're not a party with zero power, right? They would it love com- to be, though. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And when it comes to a lot of things, you're, you're uh, miraculously able to get them shoved through. But, but this, for some reason, can't be done now. I mean, honestly, the Democrats were able to come together on breaking this strike. It's weird how they were able to do that. <laughs> you know, like all, all of a sudden the Senate parliamentarian didn't have anything to do with that, right? You know, the Republicans yeah. didn't have anything to do with that. All of a sudden, that, like, they could get that done pretty quickly, too, you know? But uh, <laughs> here we are, right? Um, Yeah, I mean, I, I just. Yeah, I don't know what to say. This is who the Democratic Party is. It's who they've always yeah, been. No, I mean, exactly. It's who they've always been. And we know that, like, they're when they want to actually do something, they do it. It's just not never something that is actually good for people, right? Because, yeah. it, you know, um, what we're in right now and what have been since the tides of history is that it's like, you know, a battle between the oppressed and the oppressor. And they take the oppressor's side, like, every time because they work with capital, you know, like yeah. they work with the bosses. Um, that's just that's just what the Democrats do because they accept money from them. They're designed to be around them. They're not run by people or like by like the workers of America. Um, that's not their purpose. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm I am glad that we do have a president that is a FDR number two though. Um, <laughs> Union Joe really is showing out there. Yeah, and I think it shows to the limitations. I mean, I think the reason why we focused on, you know, how the business of the railroads is actually run, the stock buybacks and things like that, 
is to say this stuff it's not accidents right it's not all oh, the the democrats uh got outplayed by republicans somehow or whatever all this kind of stuff it's like no allowing this key provision that the which is what the union workers actually wanted to pass would threaten the profitability of the rail lines as they function now right yeah. meaning their profit weight would drop dramatically and they're not interested in doing that and uh, and it's not to say that their profit rate would drop to the point where, like, oh, the railroad would go bankrupt to kids yeah, yeah. possibly run. <laughs> That's not what we mean by that. We mean that they couldn't give out, like, billions of dollars of dividends to their yeah. investors, right? Yeah, the they dividend trade would like, slow down. $250 million instead. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, maybe yeah. the trains would stay on the rails, but the dividend train would get derailed. And, yeah. you know, who's the real winner there, right? So, yeah, um... But yeah, that that model of doing business is just too fundamental to allow to be challenged by labor, right? And that's why the Democratic Party stepped in to make sure it wasn't. And uh, I I think it speaks to a thing. It's it shows the problems more fundamental than just people not getting it or whatever, no. you know. Or the wrong people are elected, and we yeah. need to elect better people, right? Like I mean, that's that's actually not the point. You could have people who make you feel good, but if if you know, capital controls uh, the economy and there's something that's unacceptable to capital, you best believe that there's going to be some action by the capitalist state to, mm -hmm. <laughs> to you know, make that whole again. Yeah, yeah. Well, on to more depressing news. Uh, we just wanted to talk just super briefly about this, but obviously right before Thanksgiving, there was that mass shooting in Colorado Springs, uh, you know, by some fucking psycho, you know, just another American uh, nut right-wing yeah. nut or whatever uh his family uh, as strange as they get in this country if out of you've like seen uh, his weird clout chasing youtube father or anything but what no oh yeah his father uh like was like doing nootropics and then having people kick him in the balls for clout on youtube or something he's a, just a, a weird character i'll just say uh just very specifically american nut but all that aside, well, shit is funny, man. <laughs> I, I think the real like conversation about this is kind of about the future of right wing violence in America just generally. And I think a lot of people believe that by electing Joe Biden, uh, we were sort of uh, turning the page on the on the craziness that was Donald Trump and returning to the normalcy of the Obama years. Uh, pretending those were normal, I guess, at this point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry, the normalcy of the Obama years. And I just kind of think that you're not going to get that. I think the right-wing violence is here to stay. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, this is because it doesn't have anything to do with really who's in office. I'm sure, like, rhetorically, there's someone who would maybe, you know, uh, fan flames more. But this is like, there's there's a, you know, where's the cart and the horse? Um, I'm I think that the horse that is driving it is not who's like fucking, you know, elected, right? Like this is, this is a product white wing violence, as we've said many times on the show is a product of capitalism specifically, um, you know, capitalism that's usually um, one in decline and two um, has a significantly uh, white supremacist structure, which is what, you know, capitalism usually creates is racial hierarchy. Right. And um, 
white white supremacist violence, uh, you know, stems from you know those conditions in general. And so I think as we see, um, you know, conditions of capitalism continue to make people's lives worse and worse, um, the spoils of empire uh becoming less and less uh there is just going to be more radical movements and i think what i think liberals really do need to understand is that uh there's going to come a point where uh there is going to have to be a definitive choice between socialism or fascism um and you know siding with capital on a lot of issues right like the rail strike for instance is siding with fascism Right. And that's like siding with those right supremacist groups. Right. They're they They are like the boots of capital um, because it's going to come to a head where it's about like, you know, um, you know, workers welfare or the, you know, the capitals. Or the capitalist welfare and, um, you know, right wing violence is uh, usually birthed out of that. Right. Um mm-hmm. And it's birthed out of, uh, you know, a tradition of white supremacy, um, which comes from that same system. Right. So I just think that um, there's going to be a real choice. And, you know, the track record of liberals on this issue is not great, you know, (laughs) but like, (laughs) uh, but, you know, this delusion that this fundamental systematic problem um, that is exacerbated by being in America um is not going to go away by um whatever democrat you elect um it's it, it, it's it does actually it has like very little to nothing to do with the fucking party mm. that's in power this is like a very uh pure result of an economic system that's failing everyone um yeah yeah i mean if you think about it like the rail workers who were literally just uh kicked in the face by the democratic party after being told that they had to elect them right in the most important election of their lifetime uh you know a lot of them are just gonna get demoralized that way most americans do where they just give up on politics altogether um maybe maybe some will on their own independently find like left politics but a good chunk when searching for their answer why their life keeps getting worse we'll end up choosing right-wing politics, right? Because that's what's actually on offer from all corners of American society. And, you know, this point about, you know, these problems coming from the structure of capitalism itself is that, you know, as capitalism makes people's lives worse, as it makes the people more unequal, their lives more unsettled, right? All those kind of things that are happening to everybody in America that would lead to this kid's father getting kicked in the nuts for money on YouTube, right? Like, all that stuff, when people see that, they see that, you know, it feels like society is failing, right? And they're going to mm-hmm. need an explanation for that. And the thing that liberals do and the things that conservatives do, the thing that our entire sort of media infrastructure does, is it offers them non-structural answers to that, right? It's not fundamental to how capitalists do business, right? It's your individual failing right? Or it's this individual who's screwing, it's those immigrants coming in and doing this or that, right? It's the Chinese, it's the Iranians, it's whatever. It's the trans people. It's the trans people, right? And essentially, they're just looking for scapegoats that avoid addressing the structural problems of American capital that we, say, just talked about in that railroad strike. The one thing that you're never going to hear talked about in depth is about how the 
uh, restructuring of American corporations to this private equity model of relying on slash and burn, you know, slash and burn the infrastructure of the organization and then use the money for stock buybacks to just give yourself money now. There's a reason why that never came up in the discussion of the railroad strikes, right? Like it had to be, no, uh, we can't we can't explain how ca- the structure of capitalism itself and neoliberalism itself has created this very specific crisis. It just has to be, oh, those greedy railroad workers—they're uh, <laughs> going to destroy the economy right for Christmas. They're trying to—they're trying to ruin Christmas. Yeah, you know? they're trying to ruin Christmas, folks. You're not going to get that—that that, uh, can't toy, say Merry Christmas know? anymore. Yeah, they're doing the war on Christmas, right? And, <laughs> yeah, and I. You know, that's why I think that, unfortunately, the future is pretty bright for right wing violence, because, yeah, in America, the majority of answers you're going to get to explain why, the, you know, the world is the way it is are going to be uh, right wing. And yeah, they're going to be reactionary white wing. That's where the money is. That's how we're programmed yeah. to think, too, as Americans. Yeah. Um, it's been that like we, we've been conditioned for like centuries and generations to, you know, think this particular way. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up in a very. Uh, and living in a very reactionary um, imperial core, right? And as, like, wars wage on overseas, too, that, like, you know, it impacts the racism at home, too, um, and gives explanation to why things the way that they are, right? And um, certainly, if we are now so conditioned um, because of the Red Scare to even talk about an alternative, which is not liberalism, by the way, because that's gone, um, at the at at that point when we're talking about um whether it's like fascism or socialism right like there's one that you really can talk about outright maybe without saying the word just like how a lot of neo nazis don't say that they're nazis until um they attach themselves to Kanye and then it <laughs> complicates things right but um you know because you like live in a, a you know an imperial core uh that uh has like an actual legitimate right wing base that has basically killed off uh, and stomped out and assassinated any like you know real uh, left movement has completely destroyed the labor movement. Um, the left is completely in disarray, while the right wing apparatus has just a ton of money behind it because it has the interest of capital at heart. So, um, and plus, it's just very easy to radicalize people into those things. If you don't have a, a coherent alternative to be articulated to a lot of people, um, whether that's from labor or from like, you know, a left party, um, yeah, you're going to find answers. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's going to be some answers that are going to be fucking like radical. Um, and some of those answers are going to be maybe you should uh, join a militia and like harass trans people. Uh, mm-hmm. And like, cause like they're the ones who are like uh, making your standard of living worse than your parents, you know, like that. Yeah. That's why like the Kyrie story is, you know, a typical American story in that he's a guy who went searching for answers and saw what America actually has to offer, which is insane YouTube videos about Jewish reptoids fucking, you know, running secretly running the world government. And, you know, that's what the collapse of the left leaves people with. Yeah. The only thing that's interesting about Kyrie Irving is that he's rich and did it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, but this is what, you know, this sort of environment leaves people with. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's sad to say, but I, I think realistically, um, you know, this individualist uh, answer to the structural problems of capitalism 
is probably what people are going to be offered mainly. And the individualist response of doing a mass shooting is going to be how some of them respond to it. And, you know, in the aftermath of this attack in Colorado Springs, it was interesting. Um, there was a you know, big Proud Boy demonstration in Columbus, Ohio, where uh, the police, you know, essentially like set up two blocks away and like waved at the Proud Boys or whatever. Uh, and there was another, uh, again, at a, a drag queen story hour, there was another one in Lakeland, Florida, where again, at a drag queen story hour, I think it's the one in Lakeland where the cops high fived the Proud Boys and stuff like that. Mm. And I mean, this gets to another thing that we've talked about on the show before, um, which I think is underappreciated, which is just the open political role that the police are going to play in all of this, right? Which is, you know, on the left, people have gotten really in their feels about saying, where's the mass base for fascism? Forgetting that you have a million uniform. We don't need stormtroopers for the street. You have a million uniform stormtroopers already. You live <laughs> you know? literally in an occupied city. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, there's a city that's under military occupation. I mean, there's a reason why, like... <laughs> Um, you know, in New York, I think the NYPD budget's around four to five billion dollars a year that this municipal municipality like pays for, right? Um, mm-hmm. there the streets literally do look like a SS like Nazi um parade, <laughs> being that it's like so full and so full of like people in uniform and everything, right? Like you would think this is like some fucking um like national military when it's really just the police, and that's the reason why they're there, right? It's a, it's a disciplinary tool to ha- be under constant occupation by these people, right? Yeah. Like that's what police presence is for. That's why there's so many of them, right? It's a, it's not it's not just because um because it's a grift or because like you know they need to protect buildings or whatever, which they do. Um, but it's also there to um not not even put down, but make sure any any sort of like rebellion. Um, never happens in the first place, right? Yeah. Because the odds are just—it's just too stacked. Like you're right. not you're like, um, it's it's a disciplinary tool throughout life just to know that you're under this like occupied military, right? Yeah. You don't you don't need uh like just a whole group of vigilantes when you have like the cops there that recruit those guys. Mm-hmm. Like you got to remember that these are people who join this force they're not just like born into it like an npc right you know mm-hmm. it might look like it uh visually uh yeah right <laughs> it looks like you like you know press like random on three presets of create a mm-hmm. character but you know like nonetheless like uh, these are people who like join and get recruited right um mm-hmm. and a big recruiting ground is these like right wing um Vigilante groups, uh, these uh, people who like organize like on the right, the right wing news media apparatus um, who are very pro police, uh, people who are basically already radicalized to believe these things, then join the force. Right. And yeah. uh, some like have like very high positions in the force. Right. <laughs> some are the president of the police unions um, that set the tone. Um, it They're not like separate entities from uh, like right-wing vigilante, uh, you know, militia violence at all. Um, in fact, they uh, work together completely to accomplish that goal. 
Yeah, and the police have a very coherent, unlike uh, most of the American left, the police in America have a very coherent worldview that's extremely right-wing, right? Um, basically fascist, right? But they all believe it. You know, they are yeah. all on the same page. And in that sense, they represent a political force in the country itself. And uh, it's probably to our detriment that we don't consider them that like their politics are more co- like coherent as far as their uniformness through the ranks than the Democratic parties or anything like that. <laughs> right. Like they're they're pretty much lockstep with one another. Um, now, this brings us to a point that should probably make this headline a little more concerning, which is that mapping police violence uh, put out a post that's saying Police killed at least 1,054 people through November 27, 2022. Police are killing people at higher rates in 2022 than any year on record in the United States. Basically saying that, one, that uh, the killing of people by police has never gone down, right, despite years of protests and things like that, uh, and supposedly defunding the police and all this other bullshit. Uh, not only has it not gone down, though, it's actually the highest it's ever been. Oh, all time high, baby. <laughs> and yeah, and it's um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those things that shows that in the end, the police obviously uh, won the debate <laughs> in 2022. Right. Uh, in the marketplace but, of ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's the point. Right. Is to say that when I say they won the debate is not to pretend like there was a marketplace of ideas. They won the debate because the entire state infrastructure and the system of capital was behind them to make sure that they were going to win and push them across the, you know, across the finish line. Joe Biden was going to get up there no matter what and say, fund, fund, fund the police, (laughs) you know, at his State of the Union, right? I mean, um, this, I, I, I think that people sometimes downplay the probably urgency and danger of the situation because it is kind of like terrifying (laughs) to actually contemplate. But again, this is a organization of about a million people with the right to arrest. At least Uh, I think the last count was just over 900,000 police officers with the right to arrest that kill a thousand plus people a year uh, that we know of and have almost total uniformity in their political beliefs, all of which are extremely right-wing and uh, basically have the full support of both political parties and every moneyed interest in every urban area, ex-urban area, etc. This isn't good. (laughs) No. This is not good. Uh, If the essay had this kind by essay, I mean the original one, not not the one in New York, but if the (laughs) essay in Germany had this kind of backing, uh, it wouldn't have taken the Nazis, you know, the eight years or whatever to get to political power. Okay. Oh, dude. In a snap. uh, This is not good stuff. Um, And this is part of what fuels the mass shootings and stuff like that, too, because a lot of the shooters feel like yeah, the police agree with me and things like that, right? So, I mean, it's it's just, I don't know. I would love to have some sort of positive take coming out of this uh, shooting in Colorado, but I just don't feel anything positive about it. No, man. I mean, no. congrats to the people that broke up the shooting. That's the positive take. It's like, don't that people is, that are going to protect yeah. us is us, okay? 
And, you know, congrats to them. Uh, the, the police probably just would have gone there and shot more people. So good job. Uh, but Jesus Christ, that's it's uh, it's a downer, guys. I don't yep. know what to say. Yeah, we're, we're, I mean, hey, we're, we're there. I I learned when like watching CBS or, that there was like a segment called just the feel good hour, where it was like an <laughs> hour of like feel good stories, like a bunny hopping over like a bush. I mean, it was like the most like mind numbing shit that I like watched. But I'm like, man, like. Imagine just like trying to have a positive spin on something like this, like, oh, like, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so someone watched like five of their like friends, like just get like mowed down and um and <laughs> and, you know, save the day. And it's like, you know, it, that's that's great. And it does show that um, we really are the ones to, you know, protect us as community that protects and not. Um, you know, the arm of the state, which is the police. Um, but at the same time, man, they just like they watch like their friends yeah. get mowed down by a psycho. Like, fuck. Yeah. And nobody legitimately believes that's the end of anything, right? You know, like the this, you know, the shootings are gonna keep happening, right? As they have for many years now. But it's just uh yeah, I don't know. It just leaves me with a particularly bleak feeling. Yeah. Um one one side is very armed and organized and radicalized, yeah. and one really isn't. And one still thinks that they're gonna push the right Democrat through the primary, mm-hmm. and you that know? would change it. Yeah. Those are uh, two very uh, disproportionately prepared, yeah, sides in a fight. Yeah. Well, that sucks. Um. <laughs> In classic show fashion, uh, we're back, baby. We're back, babe. This this is us. We're we're back from Thanksgiving. The the good feelings that we all had and hearing the case of a Rockefeller being eaten have all <laughs> faded away, and we're just left with the boring reality that we actually have. Uh, it's awful. It's gonna stay awful out there. We do have a couple of announcements. Uh, I was on uh, a the recent most recent episode of the Doomed Planet podcast talking Ooh, about yes the problem with polling, and so oh uh, citations needed Brian coming out let's go I put on my political science hat uh, which just happens oh, to be made of human skin God. yeah <laughs> uh, I uh, I read into my chicken bone well, skin complexion Brian. <laughs> uh you know look uh well not everything has to be explicated (laughs) but um but yeah uh we are talking about the problem with polling uh alex friend of the show talks about his time working for elway polling uh including his contribution to the uh employee uh, suggestion box so uh strong recommend incredible Uh, shout out to alex man that's awesome yeah, a true uh, one of our oldest listeners, and and I mean this in the most absolutely loving way possible. A true Seattle crank. I love him. We all aspire yeah. to it. Fuck man. Uh, but yeah, it so check sense. out check out Doom Planet. There'll be a link in the comments below, uh, as well as Munya Greg. He couldn't make it today. He had a boat related illness. Yeah. Uh, but me and you are here, and we can officially announce this Sunday 
look to yes. the skies because a package yes. is going to be dropping. Ending the myth is back, baby. Boom. This we Sunday. Back. This Sunday, the uh, great epic that is American history continues. Uh, we're going to pick it up. Talking about the 19, the foreign policy of the 1950s and 60s. Uh, if you thought this episode was depressing, wait until you hear about that. <laughs> uh, we talk about Vietnam. Will we ever win the hearts and minds of the uh, mercurial Asiatics mm. of Vietnam? <laughs> Will yeah. the U.S. be able to bring them freedom, light, and democracy? Tune in to Ending the Myth to find out. Uh, Will the Indonesians finally come to their senses and uh, bring a real market reformer in? <laughs> 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 Tune in. Uh, the 1960s, baby. It's a wild time. Uh, but yeah, check- we gave we gave y'all some time to catch up. Um, but if you haven't uh, yet, if you've been sloughing, uh, you still have time. Definitely catch up. Uh, listen to it. Follow along with End of the Myth by Greg Grand. And if you want to follow along with the book, even though a lot of our episodes don't really cover uh, the chapters because we're correcting Greg Grand and, yeah. uh, you know, a Pulitzer Prize winning book. Uh, <laughs> us too. We're... <laughs> We're fixing yeah. it. Yeah, somebody had to. Uh, yeah. yeah, check it out. And this episode is uh, this new one coming out Sunday. It's only episode eighteen, which means, given our very rational and nor- no- like normal numbering system, there's only like thirty episodes prior to it <laughs> to yeah. catch up. So, yeah, just dive in head first, get caught up, uh, learn about the first slave codes, and that should get you prepared to hear about Vietnam. <laughs> it's 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 a ride i really recommend that you know you start from the beginning if you haven't started it yet because it really gives context and builds up to where it is now but um at the same time you don't need to read the end of the myth to listen to our podcast i'm sure it like makes it more exciting to read the book um and it makes it more exciting uh to listen to our podcast it ups the experience but you absolutely um don't have to uh, read the book. So don't let that intimidate you. Hop on the train. Uh, it's go time. Are you in? Woo! All hmm. right. So that being said, uh, let's call it a night because these people got some podcast listening to do, some catching up to do. Yep. In the All right. So good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>